Hello, and welcome to In Session, a podcast where we speak with changemakers working towards safe, supportive learning environments within their communities. Our guests include state and local education agencies and their partners, all grant recipients from the Department of Education, using their funding to advance school-based mental health services, support mental health service professionals, and establish trauma recovery and prevention programs. I'm Annie, and this is Brianna at the National Center on Safe, Supportive Learning Environments, and we produce In Session. On this episode, Brianna speaks with Mental Health Service Professionals recipient and Community Schools Director Jay Roskup from SOTUS Central School District in New York about leveraging the community schools strategy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get started, I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this work. Sure. Well, my name is Jay Roscoe, and I'm the community schools director uh, for really the, the Wayne County Consortium. So I'm based out of Soda Central School District, and I work with school districts across uh, Wayne County. We have 11 districts in our county. And my role, uh, especially the last couple of years, has been to find resources, including grant resources, and help coordinate and organize those resources to meet uh, student need. So I got into this work really as a project director for Safe Schools Healthy Students Grant uh, in 2009 to 2012. And then I continued on with uh, grant management and project directing for the past decade or so. But all that has really been about organizing resources in a way that our community, that our young people, that our families can access them. And, And that ultimately is really what community schools work is all about, is coordinating resources and organizing resources, especially the natural assets that are available in our communities uh, so that our young people are growing up healthy and, and well, and that they're really in a, in a thriving school community. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's super important to have that community aspect. And I know you briefly touched on this, but did you want to say a little bit more about what a community school is? Yeah, so I think it is really important that people understand what a community school is and uh, and what community schools is. And I, I there's a, a slight distinction there. You know, there are there are neighborhood schools, there are schools that have community school in the title. When we talk about community school, what we are really talking about is a school that has chosen to intentionally use the community school strategy. And the community school strategy recognizes the school as both a place and a set of partnerships. The community school strategy recognizes the school as a resource hub and an access point. And so the school building becomes a one-stop shop for, for families and for youth to have their needs met. Often that can mean uh, having a food pantry, having a clothing closet, that certainly means having mental health services and supports and having co-located clinics right inside the school. It can mean having doctors uh, providing care right inside the school with physical health clinics or telehealth. And any service or support uh, that you could think of, really we wanna try and see, hey, can the school be an access point for that? Traditional community schools thinking, really nationally settled around four pillars, which was uh, collaborative leadership, integrated student supports, family and community engagement, 
and then expanded and enriched learning. There is some great work out now called the Community Schools Forward Work that takes those four pillars that were before kind of the instrumental, fundamental components of community schools and places them as key practices and adds two more key practices, culture of safety and belonging and community-connected instruction. And those six key practices really make up what should be going on in a community school. Uh, and all of those practices are enabled by having actionable data, having trusting relationships, really making sure that there's a shared vision. All that comes together to make a, a, a school a place that young people can thrive. So um, what do we do together? How do we, how do we talk about that together? Uh, and for us in our schools locally, we are very heavily informed by a multi-tiered system of supports and an interconnected systems framework. And that really talks about how do we make sure that there are services available for prevention and promotion along the whole continuum of need for students and that those, those supports are well integrated so that we're really addressing uh, as early as we can any preventive uh, any preventive measures, any promotion of uh, positive mental health skills, positive social-emotional learning skills, meeting uh, basic and physical needs at a rudimentary level uh, straight away. What do all students need? What do some students need? What a few students need? And that, that tiered model really is a way then to arrange all of these services that are coming in from the community. So, for example... In our school at SOTUS, Delphi Rise provides uh, prevention curriculum. Delphi Rise is a drug and alcohol counseling agency, and they have prevention com components and they have clinical components. Uh, but in our school setting, they're doing mainly prevention education. Uh, they've got Office of Alcohol and Substance Abuse funding. So the school's not really paying for that, right? The uh, We are just co-locating that service. Now, if they are providing that tier one prevention curriculum, we happen to use life skills, uh, Botvin's life skills. And along the way, um, through conversation, through dialogue, they become concerned with the student. Why then they can refer. And then that student could either head into some uh, screening, brief intervention and referral to treatment, an expert uh, process, or it could be a direct referral for, for some care. And that care can then now happen right in our school. So that really reduces a lot of barriers. That's amazing there. It sounds like you have a whole array of resources and are, are working together very succinctly to, to meet all the needs of the students because no student needs exactly the same thing. So that's, that's really great to hear. So how does the community school strategy help meet those needs? Well, I think that the community school strategy has to be localized for each place. Um, you know, I had gone back and forth with a lot of, I would say, really our, our top-notch go-to national thinkers, including Abe Fernandez uh, from the National Center for Community Schools, uh, Jose Munoz from the uh, Coalition for Community Schools, Dr. Hayen Kemner, uh, who's with uh, the California Learning Exchange, uh, and and is a Brookings is connected to Brookings Institute and you know I kind of contended that coordination was enough 
but they argue that um, and contend that we need a community school coordinator. And over time, I've been saying, well, maybe so. So a lot of times the way we end up uh, meeting student needs is we do have a coordinator. And if you're looking at multi-tiered systems of support theory, this might be something like a a building coach or a district coach that's looking at all the processes, but a community school coordinator is really there to look at the systems and to make sure that there is a, a deep look at the community for assets, uh, a deep look at the community for, for needs and gaps, and then that there is outreach to providers. And, you know, it's important to note that those providers might be grandparents that are available to come in and read. Uh, or available to come in and sit and listen to a young person during during recess that, you know, um, on a buddy bench or something like that. Not all of the resources are in institutions. Uh, not all of our, our strength in our community is just imported via professional veins, right? We can really look to our own young people, to our own, uh, to our families, and and ask them, hey, uh, how can we meet this need? So a community school coordinator then is going to understand looking at data, being data informed. Gee, our reading scores are lower or our progression in math is not at the trajectory that we need or our chronic absenteeism rate is a little bit up there. Um, and through just conversation, like, gee, do you feel like you belong here? Well, not really. Do you have adults you can talk to? Well, one. Well, you know, so those are through both the, the qualitative and quantitative exploration, a, a community school coordinator and a community schools team should really have their finger on the pulse of that school community, of the community at large, and then work to meet needs uh, by both importing services and addressing barriers. A barrier, for instance, might be a complicated referral form. Well, can we streamline that? You know, uh, a barrier might be, you know, transportation. Well, again, having the source of service right at the school should reduce that barrier, especially in our rural areas. Families aren't traveling as far to get to services. It can be a 40-mile a round trip uh, for a clinical appointment in the middle of the day for a family uh, if they're in Wayne County. And so if we can make that service accessible right there, we can reduce that barrier and meet that need. But our community school coordinators really ought to know that. What are the barriers our families are facing? And and you know, and gosh, how can we how can we work together to 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 reduce those barriers? Yeah, I think that finding out what those barriers are and then I think that's great having it centrally located at the schools. It makes it easy for everyone involved and and also involving the youth and families and the folks that are getting these supports in the process is just as important as involving the experts where you're getting the resources from. It's very much a community process. So I think that's fantastic. What has the development of community schools been like in SOTUS? You know, our community schools work, uh, again, I think started with that Safe Schools Healthy Students grant. And we didn't call it community schools. We were just carrying out a grant project, and you know we had really wanted that grant for a while for our community. We had a superintendent, uh, Susan Salvaggio, who just championed uh, repeated applications, and finally, uh, she obtained the grant for the community, uh, and that really was probably our entry point for this work. 
I do think rural schools are almost kind of naturally community schools. Uh, we don't have university. We don't have uh, YMCAs. We don't have uh, a lot of these other institutions that exist in larger population centers, both in suburbs and in urban areas. So almost by proxy, by force, where we are a community center. Uh, I think we began to more intentionally own that during that Safe Schools Healthy Students grant. And we really brought in more partners, including drug and alcohol prevention, uh, expanded the mental health clinician presence, working with the school resource officer. And the out-of-school time program also became just absolutely essential. We operated an after-school program there. And I have to tell you that for a lot of schools, after-school programming is the entry point to community schools work. There's a little more freedom in how you set up your schedule. There is an opportunity to really base things on student need. And that out-of-school time um, or expanded and enriched learning is the, is the key practice really became for us uh, an essential place for partners to gather. Delphi Rise, who I mentioned earlier, would come in and provide small groups. Uh, Cornell Cooperative would come in and provide uh, cooking classes and, and cook with families. And you know, young people that might want to miss a class, for example, you know, a person experiencing anxiety, some of that anxiety might be around, you know, grades or academic performance or meeting their own expectations for themselves. To be able to have that appointment after school uh, was a real blessing for, for, for some young people experiencing uh, that, that kind of anxiety. So I think, you know, seeing everything come together in that one grant project it had us go, hmm. But as a lot of times happens, uh, the grant went away and much of what we built went away. So these last few years, we've rebuilt it not with one grant or uh, any single grant project, but by braiding and blending funding together. So now we have out-of-school time funding. We have mental health, uh, a mental health demonstration grant to help us gain access from uh, universities. And to have, we have some spectacular interns that are working with our students during school and the after-school day. We have a, a school safety grant project, and we're also leveraging a lot of local funding. Uh, and our Board of Cooperative Educational Services is a shared services entity where school districts can share services. We're leveraging those too. So what started as a grant project, and then to be honest, diminished when the grant went away, has come back really stronger than ever as, as a shared vision and as a recognition that as a school, we have an opportunity, maybe even a responsibility, maybe even a moral obligation to provide everything we can to help our young people uh, succeed. And that means that we can't do it alone. I think probably a lot of people have heard national conversation about how schools are being asked to do more and more. Well, we are because we have direct interface with the entire youth population. Clinical service providers are going to see young people that come for help, not even just everybody that needs help, young people that make it there for help. Schools see everybody. So it really is on us to, to recognize needs and create opportunities to meet those needs. But that doesn't mean it has to be a line item in our budget. That doesn't mean it has to be our staff that are doing it. It does mean 
that we need to be willing to collaborate. We need to be willing to partner. We need to be willing to call on experts from other fields and ask them to come in and do what they do best. And often they end up outperforming uh, their, their results in their usual settings because a lot of those barriers that, that, that result in missed appointments or a lack of transference of skill, right? You're talking about, for instance, a self-regulation skill. Uh, you've got a clinical appointment, you miss the day at school and you're in a different environment. Well, you may not get a chance to immediately rehearse that skill. Well, or you might not get feedback from staff, but when we integrate those clinical providers with our school support teams and we get the appropriate releases, we get a real authentic wraparound team around individual students and we can become part of the clinical plan for the treatment and care of a young person, uh, whether it's, de again, developing self-regulation, uh, reducing symptoms of anxiety, whatever it may be. So I think mental health is an area that uh, it's very, very clear that that co-location uh, is a start and then true integration is where we want to get to. And then we're right there in a setting where a young person needs to perform, where they need to live, laugh, and love, you know, and demonstrate those uh, holistic qualities of, of health and wellness. And we can provide that support right in an environment they spend a ton of time at, which is uh, the school building. Absolutely. They already spend all that time at the school. You might as well utilize it that way. And I think that authenticity and intentionality that you talk about is often a driving force of the success of those mental health programs. So I think that that is awesome. And I know you, you discussed a little bit about using multiple sources of funding, um, but are there other ways that community schools support sustainable practices for helping the youth and families specifically for mental health and other interventions? Yeah. Yeah, like for for example, again, you know, we are not, I think it's really important to know that we are not paying for the mental health providers that are in our offices or in our or in our schools, right? Like those are really being covered by Medicaid, by Medicaid billable dollars or by county of Wayne dollars. All we're doing is providing the space. That said, if the county of Wayne wanted to open up shop on Main Street and Sodus. I mean, at the very least, you're talking, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year, uh, probably more in overhead costs for that satellite clinic. So when we remove that overhead cost, that infrastructure cost, and immediately, hey, here's your Wi-Fi, here's your copy machine, those seem like small things until you try and sustain a bunch of clinics across a broad geographic area. And then it becomes pretty obvious how using shared infrastructure, you know, it could be a little bit like a shopping mall, right? Where you have, except there's no rent, right? So that uh, you have that shared infrastructure and everybody has their niche and their place. And it just leads also to great collaboration between individual providers. So somebody can show up at the food pantry and be looking for food help and engage in a conversation with our staff person who may have been trained in youth mental health first aid, who recognizes a sign and symptom and, and asks if they can walk them right down and introduce them to a clinician who can do a screening and so on and so forth. And everything is just 
organic and it's very much like a garden in that it has structure, but it grows on its own, right? So it's not uh, some mechanical system, nor is it just uh, uh, random brambles and growth all over, but it's organized growth uh, that is holistic and supportive of the people in the community. And because we get results and because agencies support one another and because there's shared infrastructure and shared vision, uh, it tends to just hold together. I don't want to say it holds together naturally. I don't want to say that it holds together with no work, but a lot like a garden, um, if it is cultivated and maintained, um, the benefits make the labor of gardening uh, worth it. And I would say it's a lot like a lot like that. And so then there are people that are very much interested in sustaining that garden because they've received the benefits of uh, of having the garden in the first place. I love that garden metaphor. I've I've never heard it used in that way before. I think that that was a really beautiful way to put it. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll use that one again then. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> What impact have you seen in SOTUS or across Wayne County? So we have seen, uh, when it comes to mental health numbers, uh, we have seen an increased number of young people served. And this is prior to the pandemic, you know, uh, where there was just an increase, uh, you know, be because there was more access, there was more service, right? Um, beyond that, though, uh, especially prior to the pandemic, we saw a reduction in risk factors. Our schools all use something based on Hawkins and Catalano research. It's For us, it's the Evalumetrics Youth Survey, which is a local uh, but nationally validated uh, survey uh, that is really right up there with the YRBS and and other surveys. It has items there off of that, that, that instrument. And We've taken that in our districts every two years for the last 10 years. So we have been tracking that data for a while. And what we've got really is a cool story of a steady reduction in risk factors for our young people. Now, when the pandemic hit, um, our, uh, our story got messed up a little bit, right? But what is interesting is that other communities around us that also use that survey, according to the data this year, it's what a lot of people would expect. Um, uh, young people are in the worst position they've ever been in. Not so in our Wayne County schools. Um, certainly things got worse than they were in 2019. Uh, we're, we're seeing young people with still heightened levels of risk, heightened levels of social emotional distress, but it's not actually even as bad as it was in 2013. And that's despite the fact that our poverty rate has really increased uh, significantly as well. So despite increased poverty, despite the pandemic, things are still overall better than they were in 2013. And we are seeing what we're seeing an example of what research said would happen. Uh, There's some research, there's some uh, work done out in uh, the West Coast in Washington and Oregon around the impact of networks and the, the power of strong collaborative networks to mitigate ACE, uh, the impact of adverse childhood experiences. And, and we're seeing that happen here. 
you know, uh, so we have a lot of putting things back together to do right now, but our numbers uh, are, are, are really uh, promising. Again, the most rewarding work is going to be when you see an individual young person graduate from high school that may otherwise not have that um, you see a young person say, hey, you know what, I have really learned to manage my anger and I have a lot more control over myself and they take ownership and control over over the direction of their life. Um, when you see a family um, show up and ask for help and maybe one of the highest compliments of all is when uh, in signs of success, when you see a family send another family to you because that means that they trust you enough that they think that our community uh, is able to provide help one to another. And so if we have people really set up to help each other, I think those when we, when we see that happen, then we know that we're, we're, we're getting there. So a uh, long way to go. And much like, you know, to return to that metaphor of the garden, much like a garden, if we walk away from it, uh, if we stop tending it, uh, then we can expect those results uh, to diminish fairly quickly. So it does take uh, constant maintenance and constant care. So uh, I think it's important to know that any any results, uh, any success stories are certainly something to be proud of. And they aren't a sign that the work is finished, but that the work is worth it. And we got to keep going. Absolutely. There's always more work to be done. But um, and it's challenging work, but the the success and the rewards are are so worth it when you see all of the impact that it has. So that's that's great to hear. I did have one other question for you in terms of referrals to the services. Do students self-refer themselves? Do teachers or administrators refer them if they think students are in need of supports or how does that work? We're talking about referrals in an effective community school. I think we want really multiple points of entry. And uh, so certainly students can self-refer. Uh, when we're doing things right, uh, students can even say, hey, I think there's something wrong with my my friend and that there's enough trust, right? But absolutely, uh, parents, administrators, faculty, staff, anybody can ask for help for anybody else. And creating that um common uh, common way of doing that is something that community schools really have to, to work very hard on. And I think that what makes it difficult sometimes is simplifying things, right? Because uh, ultimately, every single agency is going to need a host of data and they, they need that information too, uh, personal information for making clinical decisions. But what do you really need at the start to start a conversation? What kind of release do we need signed? And really making sure that, that that is set up and ready to go and that we have people around who can explain that process and manage that process uh, is something that takes, again, uh, individual work in each school with each partner. So I just wanna also add that the most important part of the referral work uh, is establishing trust. And I think that what prevents referrals ultimately is just a lack of a lack of trust. Do I trust if I'm a, 
uh, Delphi Rise provider and I want to refer to Family Counseling Service to the Finger Lakes, do I trust that that provider is going to follow through? If I'm a student and I want to ask for help, do I trust that that's going to be kept in confidence? Um, if I'm a teacher and I ask for support, um, am I sure that no one's going to think that's because I can't manage my classroom, you know, and again, am I, is it worth me taking my time to do this? Is something actually going to happen? So, uh, whenever we talk about referrals, I think that, uh, that is very, very important that we're also thinking about what we're doing to establish and maintain the trusting relationships that really make, uh, uh, referrals conducive and in, and encourage that cooperative effort uh, between people who see need in one another, between uh, partnered agencies and between schools and agencies. That is so important. I know it, it can be very scary and difficult for people to put themselves out there or refer their friends, but knowing that it's it's a safe and trusting place is it makes all the difference. So before we we close out is there is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners any advice you want to give if they're trying to implement similar programs or anything else that you want to leave our listeners with today yeah i think community schools is having a moment right now uh california has invested four billion uh with a b in the community school strategy and there are other states that are stepping up too uh, New York has technical assistance centers. So for anybody that is listening from New York State, if you head to nyscommunityschools.org, uh, you'll see the New York State Community Schools Technical Assistance Centers funded by the State uh, Department of Education. Uh, but the Community Schools Coalition, or the Coalition for Community Schools, which is uh, is national and the National Center for Community Schools are two go-to places but uh, Googling the community schools forward work is also a quick and easy way uh, to learn more. And I do think that now is the time to learn more about community schools and to understand that community schools is a strategy, uh, that it is not owned by anyone any more than uh, the air and the water are, right? That it really is a strategy, it is a way to uh, to think about how we do school and hopefully help us continue to transform school to build more and more ownership uh, in the well-being of our young people so that it's not, hey, we'll send the kids to school and the school will take care of everything, but rather um, how can we all uh, come together to help our young people thrive in their school community and in their community at large. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know um, I have learned a lot today and I think others will take a lot of great information away as well. I, I'm excited to hear that now is the time for community schools and um, I think disseminating the information out in ways such as our conversation today is just one more avenue for people to learn more about them and, and hopefully use them as a strategy moving forward because it sounds like the work you all are doing is is phenomenal and hopefully other folks will be able to do the same. Those of us who are in this work think that every school should be a community school. And um, if I'm a little more forward in my thinking, I think that every school has to be a community school and maybe in some ways every school is a community school because they are centric. The question is whether or not they want to be good at it, whether they want to do it intentionally. 
um, or if they want to shirk that responsibility. So I feel like that if you are a school, um, to me, the way I look at it, it is a moral obligation to recognize uh, your role in the community and the community school strategy is a way for the, the school to, to really take a key role in the development of the well-being of young people, uh, especially uh, their, their teaching and learning, uh, their educational outcomes. I love that. Yeah, schools in any community, rural or urban or wherever you are, they're a hub for students and families and youth already. So it's about that intentionality of what can you do with being that that hub for folks already and what resources can you can you give to them. So I love that. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time to to talk with me today. Yeah, this was this was great. I'm excited. I'm excited for what the future holds for you all and for others implementing community schools. It's an exciting time. So thank you so much. Thank you. In Session is brought to you by the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, or Nestle, at the American Institutes for Research. This podcast is funded by the U.S. Department of Education. If you'd like to learn more about Nestle, visit safesupportivelearning.ed.gov. For all questions or feedback, you can email us at nestle at AIR.org. Thanks for listening. Please note, the contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policy or views of the U.S. Department of Education, nor does it imply endorsement by the U.S. Department of Education.